Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, my name is Stephanie Malik. I'm the president and CEO of S. Malik Enterprises. I'm a business strategist, a high-impact performance coach, and a crisis expert. I'm also the host of Spin It Podcast. Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Series, and I will now hand this over to our host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Hey, Stephanie. It's so lovely having you on this series. We have a mutual friend in Brian J. Esposito, and Brian was also on the series, and uh, He's a great champion for you and, and a great believer in what you do. And thanks to you and him, I came onto your Spin It podcast, which I so enjoyed. So this is like, it's like um, sort of having a guest back to dinner who's had you to dinner. So welcome. And Thank you. Let, let's begin by, you know, you're doing such a lot at the moment. Give us a little flavor in a couple of minutes of the things you're doing right now. Sure, sure. So I am doing so many different things to impact and inspire other leaders. We have several different coaching programs, one-on-one, and then we're also doing uh, group coaching as well. Um, I'm also a crisis expert, which has been occupying so much of my time, sadly, under the current situation that we're, we're dealing with with the pandemic, but also too um, with other people who have possibly had an error in judgment. Um, I do business consulting globally, and I also host Spin It, which has been so fun. It's a brand new podcast on turning obstacles into opportunities. Mm. Oh, it was it was a real fascinating one to be on. I've listened to a number of your other guests as well. So well done. Thank in, you. In, in all that you've achieved thus far. And I'm sure it will go from strength to strength. Now, the, the woman you are today and the inspiring leader, because it's not I'm not saying you're an inspiring leader. Brian is saying you are and <laughs> others who know. So, you know, I can't I don't get people who come on here. And go, I'm an inspiring leader. I, like, I want to appear on your podcast. I go, thank you. No. But so you yes. were recommended by others. This is how it, it all works. It's it's a only leaders know other leaders that they find inspiring when you've got some PR agent saying, here's a really inspiring person who wants to come and be on your show. I go, thank you. No, but you, <laughs> right. you, you came recommended and um, take us back to childhood. What shaped you into the leader you are today? What experiences just give us a perhaps five minutes of some of the life experiences you've had and the people who shape the leader you are today and the, and the values you have and this incredible drive and energy you have for people. So, so it wasn't always pretty, you know, um, as we talked about before on, on our, our previous time together, you know, I was raised by a severely mentally ill mother. Um, I, my father drowned when I was a little under three and it really caused a severe, severe snap with my mom. Um, who, you know, now that I'm much older, Jonathan, I realize that she did the absolute very best that she could with the tools that she had from her environment. Um, you know, quickly got emancipated at 15 years old, started college very young, 16 on academic probation, um, got done at 20, got married at 21, had a baby at 22, was divorced at 23, paying alimony at 24. Um, not pretty, you know, uh, a giant tiger was chasing me. There were times where I was homeless and there was times where I really felt alone and that I had no support. Um, these skills that were developed unintentionally, of course, uh, 
really kind of started and were foundational in getting me to be the leader that I am today. And I, I couldn't agree with you more. I really want to say that I couldn't agree with you more when people say, you know, I had a call on Monday and they said, he told me in 15 minutes, what a great leader he was 12 times. And I, I just didn't, I was like, if you're having to cont- continuously say, I'm a great leader, I'm a great leader, we have a bigger problem. And self-awareness was that the problem. Um, I had a lot of amazing people around me when I started, Jonathan. Um, I started off in Silicon Valley, uh, had major um, roles, very, very young, uh, no SEO, no LinkedIn, no Google AdWords, no any of those things to kind of actually help really just pure tenacity. And a lot of people that believed in my work ethic, um, in 2002, I started my first consulting company. It went to a global consulting company in 22 global locations. And again, it was all about the teams. It was all about the people, all about the culture, all about asking really, really good questions. Five years ago, I founded S Malik enterprises. I changed from kind of software SaaS integration consulting to more people and human consulting. Mm. What, what a hell of a story, Stephanie. And, and I relate, of course, because uh, with our mutual stories, you lost your father when you were three. I lost my father when I was three. And I found time and again with a number of leaders that I met, if a number of over history, a number of British prime ministers, for example, mm. ha- have lost a father killed or died or whatever it might be at a very early age. And there's something uh, about often we don't kind of realize it. We're trying to prove to someone who's not there anymore that we're good enough, trying to earn people's approval. And I often find that the people who've, you know, had just a simple life, they're often quite happy with a simple life. They, they're not driven by any demons. They're not the overactive, overanxious, overachievers that you and I are trying to yes. prove to people that we're good enough. And so there is something about this drive that comes from our childhood. And I don't think you don't need to be a great psychologist to know that. Um, but it's just it's just an interesting connection. So thank you for sharing that. What a really powerful story and backstory. And I think if we if we look at your highs and lows in your life, what would you say were your proudest moments so far? And, and what would be one of your darkest moments in work or in, in your personal life? And what did you learn from each of those two imposters, as Rudyard Kipling would say, and treat them just the same? Yeah. So, I mean, I have to say, you know, I remember when I was younger, Jonathan, people would be like, oh, my kids, my kids. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, my proudest moment is definitely my children and not not, you know, I I could go on and on about this. I want to be respectful of time, not not their academia, not their athleticism, not their um, accomplishments for, you know, being high achievers, their kindness, their respect, um, their empathy. Um, who they are as humans, I have, you know, some would say instilled, you know, I, you know, me, I tell the truth pounded into their heads and their souls, um, about being great, great leaders. And you do that through EQ, self-awareness, self-actualization, understanding where other people are. So not so much, you know, I have two kids that are very average students and I have two kids that excel and, you know, are, are amazing in school, but they're all incredibly kind, incredibly, incredibly empathetic. Um, and they're my proudest accomplishments for work. I would say structuring solid deals, making sure that everybody wins. Um, it's a pretty proud moment that I can say I've structured over $1 billion in deals and never, ever written a bad deal. 
We all may not be happy at the same time, Jonathan, but we all end up being happy. Lastly, I would say my darkest moments, you know, I think growing up with a parent, um, with mental illness and not knowing and understanding so much about it is really, really hard. And I would say conversely, not knowing or remembering my father and then having so many people meet you, he died when he was 30 and people meet me and they're like, oh my gosh, you're exactly like him. Oh, wow. You're so much like him. It's such a hard thing. I I struggle with the connection of thank you so much, but I don't really know how to feel it. If that makes sense. And that's really hard sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Oh, um, so many connections for me. I mean, I think the first one about children, I've got two children of my own who are 27, 28 and uh, 26 and 29 year old step um, daughter and stepson. And I'm proud of all four of them for all their own reasons. But I think it's, it's the moments, as you say, when they, they show great emotional intelligence or great wisdom. Uh, I I remember one of my daughters, age seven, you know, daddy, how are you? How are you? And I go, I'm fine. And she goes, daddy, are you really fine? And mm. I go, well, well, actually, no, I'm a bit upset. Oh, daddy, why are you upset? I go, goodness me, I'm being, I'm being coached here. You're like, yeah. um, well, somebody, somebody lied to me at work. Okay, daddy, what are you going to do about it? And, and, you know, so this went on. I thought, That's incredible. Seven-year-old. And, and, and I think it is, as you say, it's those qualities and the way they are with other people. People who can't help them in their careers. Just the, the, way, exactly they, right. the, way, the way they treat people. I remember, you know, that uh, upbringing, my mother, in a bit like yours on her own, bring up three boys under the age of nine. And uh, on the way back from church, we'd stop and we'd pick up a little old lady who had bags that were crammed full and she had an old coat and she, she stank very heavily of urine. And, and we would not complain and she'd get in the car and she'd come and have lunch with us because she hadn't got lunch anywhere else. And so that kind of value set of how you treat people sticks with you. And, and so I'm really related to that. But I mean, I, I think incredible that you've done that, that amount of deals already. There's a very good book called Dealmaker by Guy Hans, who was one year, I think he was worth 40 uh, million. Uh, and he runs a private equity company called um, Terra Firma. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, it's just come out as an audiobook, And he, like me, is dyslexic. And, and his story is quite incredible, including all the mistakes that he made and he, the vulnerabilities. And I think this is uh, in the work that you and I both do with coaching leaders. It's when you can get them to be authentic and vulnerable and not tell you I'm the greatest leader that ever walked the planet, but actually every day I make some mistakes and I'm learning from them. Um, thank you for both those. What bit of advice do you wish you had when, if you went back in Back to the Future in your car and you've landed there in the DeLorean, and, and you met Stephanie, age 16, what bit of advice would you give to do and to not do to the younger self? So that, I, I feel like I need a whole new podcast for that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I would say, I would say simply put, I would say be the last one to speak, be mm. a constant and curious student and really, really listen and listen with your, all your, listen with all your senses, Jonathan, listen to everything that's not being said, pay attention to people. And if they're comfortable or not comfortable, um, make sure you're looking at their body language, make sure you're engaging by keeping eye contact, um, and ask provocative questions. Like that's what I would have done. I would have asked more questions. One of my biggest problems when I was younger is I always felt like I was operating from the back foot. I always felt not good enough. 
I always felt like I had to have a bunch of filler conversation. And the bottom line is I didn't make sense. And I was coming across so much younger than I actually was just to fit in. Mm, uh, some really great wisdom there. And uh, I love um, one of the, uh, the sort of five tips about listening. Listen to yourself first, level one. Yes. Then listening to the context of what someone's saying. Listen to the content of what's being said. Listen to the unsaid. I think you've mentioned this before. What they're not saying, what's missing. And then finally, listening for meaning. And, and, and it's a journey that you and I and, and all leaders have to keep working on every day. And when we're not present, everybody feels it instantly. Yes. You just, you just like, where are you? Hello, where are you? Because you're not here with me right now. Right. And I don't know about you, but I've got a, a wife who's a superb coach. She's much better than me, Lee. And there, and there are moments when you drop your guard at home and you, you're not trying as hard because you've just finished a full day. Mm. And then you relax and you're, you really have to try all the harder with the loved ones because it's so easy to think, oh, it's just family. But actually family matters even more to be, to be present. Uh, lovely comments. Thank you. So on to going around the Inspiring Leadership Compass, beginning with moral quotient, the true north. If, if you were to pick three values that you've brought up to live by or you've taught yourself that, that stand the test of time, what would be your three foundational values in, in the way you approach life and your work? I really have to think about this because it changes as I evolve. You don't, for me, I struggle with this, Jonathan, because I don't want to change my pillars. But as I become more acutely aware of my flaws and the things that I need to develop, these change for me. So, so you know, I, I, people always say, be kind in everything that you do, but just like you just pointed out with family, that's harder to do. That's a great, it's a great message. It's a great sign. Okay. But that's really hard to do. Like you said, when you've spent 10 or 12 hours coaching and being present for, you know, for leaders or, or in a courtroom or in a settlement, it's very difficult to be kind in all you do be kind in all you do be honest and approachable, be humble. And I would say the one that maybe people don't agree with a lot, say no, if you're absolutely not the best person for the job, but refer when you refer, refer in kindness, set that person up for success. And the person who might be taking on, um, that individual, that individual is a human and whether you're the best person for them or not, they deserve to have the best service. So refer in kindness. Oh, that, that is uh, a whole series of really wonderful ones. I can go to each one of them. But the last one stuck in my mind when uh, I, in my office in London, in the city of London, I had a chap who came in and I thought, here I am sitting here, a former British Army officer with a former Russian officer who's now working for a bulge bracket investment bank, making loads of money. And he was telling me about his bosses and uh, the bank will remain nameless for the following reasons, because <laughs> he described them. And I went, it sounds like your five bosses are white collar psychopaths. And he goes, what qualities do they have? So I, I, I've got my psychopath hunters list. So I had it. Yes. Here it is. I hand it to him. And he goes, yes, 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 exactly. Yes. He said, can you teach me? I said, no problem. I can teach you how to avoid these kind of people, how to get away from them, uh, even leave an organization if they're like, no, no, no. He said, I want to be like them. I said, oh. I think I'll have to refer you to somebody else because this is not what I am prepared to do. It just completely contravenes. Or, But he desperately wanted to become a white collar psychopath. And I'm sure he's making billions and uh, working over people very successfully. But he certainly wasn't trained by me. Um, <laughs> PQ, 
meaning and purpose. Uh, this is Dharma, your calling, your vocation. Uh, why, Stephanie, do you do what you do? So I know, and this is this is probably one of the only times that you will hear me say, I know, okay? I know without a shadow of a doubt, 1000% in every cell in my body that I coach people differently because every single person that I have ever coached, every leader, every president, every CIO, whomever, whomever, whomever it is, no matter what, I know without a shadow of a doubt, because they have told me I have had three or four or five executive coaches, performance coaches. I have never in my entire life had a coach like you. You see their eyes shift. And Jonathan, you know this, you and I have talked about this. When that brightness goes off in their eyes, when you see that connection, when you see them go, okay, it's, it's almost like they got it, they believe in it, and they can do it. There is no better feeling than seeing somebody have that belief in themselves mm. to be able to understand and, and to inspire that and to impact them for whatever, for their personal life, for their professional life, for whatever they're doing in the future, to see them connect with that in, in anything, in, in our coaching, in our consulting, and in our crisis, when you give them that hope and you give them the, that inspiration, that is why I do what I do. I love it. No, it's great. And perhaps I'm going to have to do a trade-in with you. I'm going to do a coaching session as a gift to you and you can do one for me. How about that? That's awesome. I love yeah, that. I'm up for that. Let's do it. Let's do it. Because um, I always want to experience the best, the best and difference. And I don't want samey. I, I want right. profound somatic experiences within one when you go, yes, yeah, that's it. Or goodness, that's a great question. Well, of course it is. That's the whole point of asking an incisive question. Oh, God, don't ask me that. Like, or that lovely one. What's the question you don't want me to ask you? Well, don't yeah. ask me about this. Okay, <laughs> what about this? No, come on, that's not fair. <laughs> no, you it's know. the best. That's the, the best. best. Health question. Uh, the next one round of the eight. Um, what's your top tip for mental health and for physical health for those listening in 55 countries, 185,000 of them, wherever they may be? What's your tip? Okay. So again, transparency, I can do a lot better in this area. I can do a lot better. Um, it's been better since I've been home since the pandemic, but you know, in the first, when it wasn't the pandemic, I flew 200,000 miles my first six months. Um, I, 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 I did not do an amazing job at the health question, um, that you're asking. So I'm embarrassed about that. Trying to do better. <clears throat> Mostly it's been strength training. Um, Pilates, you know, I was a huge Pilates advocate for so long, longer, leaner muscles, you know, hydration, et cetera. Um, mentally I do a little better, um, mentally, I probably do my mental health, um, before my physical health years of training, I guess. Um, I write gratitude constantly, 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 constantly. Um, I talk about just even the little things, warm blankets, you know, cozy candles, you know, just the smallest little things. I pray every day. Um, you know, the Bible says, if you, um, if you can count how many times a day you've prayed, you haven't prayed enough. Um, and so I really pray a lot. I try to have fun. I'm not overly amazing at it, but I try to take myself not too seriously and realize that there's so many people that strive to be where I am. So maybe my place isn't so 
you know, horrible or bad. And there's always people that have it so much worse. So being really respectful and grateful and having humility on where I am is important. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely one. And I think this, this combination of mental and physical health and the gratitude journal, uh, I use the five minute journal.com, which is a, mm. a great way of beginning and ending the day. And I've been doing it now for about six years. And I am certain the habit stacking and uh, that book, uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear is a very good one. Um, where I, I, I begin with the Daily Stoic by Ryan Holiday. I listen to that for five, 10 minutes. I then do 20 minutes of mindfulness. I then do HIIT training when I'm um, a bit unwell at the moment, uh, having had an operation, but I, I do HIIT training then or yoga. Uh, and then I walk Archie, our dog with my wife, Lee. And that's a great way to begin the day. And I've built this foundation particularly yeah. during the pandemic when it hits many people's mental health. And I would commend that to anybody else that any of those elements, thank you for that. EQ, yes. is, EQ is the next one, emotional and social intelligence. Um, it's, it's a key part of who you are and how you show up and how you connect with people. There's so much in this area, but if you were to pick a favorite of yours about building emotional and social intelligence with people, what, what advice would you give Stephanie? Ask ridiculously difficult questions and pause and smile and engage. Mm -hmm. The more comfortable, the more uncomfortable your questions are, the more thought provoking and the more you stay silent and just wait for the answer. Cause they look at you, Jonathan, they look at you like, are you serious? Wait, they wait, hold on. Wait, are you, you really, you're, uh, stay quiet, engage, look in their eyes. Don't be uncomfortable. Like really look in their eyes and, and change your tonality and your tenor to be warm and inviting. It's disruptive. And in every single thing disruptive, as long as it's not toxic, there's growth. Yeah. Oh, so good. And, and if you haven't read the book, I commend it to you and others listening. Um, <clears throat> the promise by Nancy Klein, and it's called the promise that changes everything. Semicolon. I won't interrupt you and Nancy is a mentor to me she's in her 70s now she's an American lady but she's come across the UK and and she teaches this whole approach of the thinking environment and time to think and her first book was called time to think but she taught me more than anybody else the power of asking a question and then leaving the space and thinking how far can they go in their thinking yeah. before I interrupt I assault their thinking and try and think for them. And then how much further than that can they go in their thinking before I interrupt? And then, awful for the extrovert, how much further than that can they go in their thinking before I interrupt them? So all you say really resonates strongly for me. And I, I think that's incredibly powerful. Thank you. From EQ to CQ. So cultural intelligence quotient and diversity, equality, inclusion is such a key part these days. It was a nice afterthought, but it's now an essential component of what we do. What's your big learning about um, adapting to different perspectives, different cultures, different backgrounds, different orientation? What's, what's your advice? So, so Jonathan, um, this is a very personal thing for me because um, I, you know, obviously came, grew up in the Bay Area in the Silicon Valley. Um, I'm first generation here on both sides. My mom was born in Portugal. My dad was born in the Middle East. Um, my first language wasn't English. It was actually Portuguese. 
Um, and I thought, I thought I really had it together. Like I really thought like, I mean, I travel for cultural awareness. I travel for spiritual awareness. I, I don't go, I'm not one of those people that go to a new country and go, you know, speak English. You know, I try to emerge into their culture. I don't like going into tourist locations. I really love to go into, you know, the seediest and the shadiest. And that's where you find the real true culture and how people are living. Um, for me, I'm going to tell you really quickly about a personal experience. Um, I, I, I've always prided myself on, we don't see color. My kids grew up in Oakland. Um, we have black friends and Asian friends and Hispanic friends and, and European friends. And we just, I have, I have tons of friends that are interracially married. Um, we don't see color. We just, we just don't, we see you as a human and as a person. Well, I got really, really schooled on this. Now I will say being a constant and curious student, like you've heard me say, I always want to learn. I always want to change my perspective. When the George Floyd thing happened, um, I said, I, I don't, I just, I don't get it. I don't understand. And I remember I said something and I said, I don't understand how people still see color in this country. And I offended a very, very dear friend of mine, a very well-educated, very amazing friend of mine. And I said, teach me, I need you to teach me. I, I want to do better. And he said, the problem is, is that you don't see color and you don't see what we've been through and what we've gone through. You don't see all the things that weren't open to us. You don't see all of the oppression. You don't see all of the pain and the hurt. You don't see the lack of opportunity. And he went on. I mean, Jonathan, I, I promise you, I don't think I actually spoke for 12 minutes. And at the end of the time, I just started crying. Mm. I missed so much for so long. And I had done a disservice to so many of my, my, all of my friends that were people of color. Um, and I stopped right then I, I did notice color and I did honor color and I did really focus on what they had been through. And so I think being totally curious and being constant in asking these questions and being really engaging and caring when you're looking at somebody asking those questions. So they don't feel like you're just kind of blowing them off, but they really feel like it matters to you and you want to make a difference. Yeah. Oh, very powerful. Very powerful. And, and I think of my time when I went age 19 to Sandhurst, the military academy. Mm -hmm. And um, in my platoon of 30, um, let's say 24 were white British people joining, uh, becoming officers. Yeah. But six were from overseas countries. Errol was from Jamaica. Uh, Jeffrey was from Barbados. Anwar was from Jordan. Uh, Mr. Belengi was from Zaire. Um, and Himalaya Tapa was from Nepal. And there was uh, one other that's just gone out of my mind. They're now still 40 years later, 42 years later, my best friends. But many of the other fellow office cadets were very superior about them just being overseas students and things like that. And, and I think I put it down to my mother and the way she brought us up. And so when I got married to Lee six years ago, we got married in Jamaica and Errol was my best man. Oh. And, we, and we just remained such close friends. But I think you're so right that we don't know. I mean, I read, you know, the autobiography of Malcolm X and it's like, whoa. And, yeah. and, and, and just friends of mine of color have just having to educate me because I just don't see certain things. And so I've got a long journey to go, really conscious of that. Thank you, uh, very powerful. Uh, that takes us on nicely to resilience, RQ. You've had some successes, you've had some setbacks. Um, what would be a top tip you'd give about resilience against adversity and how you've 
learned from that? I think that people need to study resiliency. I think they have to understand what giving up is and what pivoting is. I mean, look, Jonathan, <clears throat> when I started this company, um, I had 400 applications in 60 days and I was just so excited and flying absolutely high. I was like, I'm finally going to be able to do what I'm so passionate about. And then I got a non-compete and 400 applications went completely away. Um, and not only that, I had spent so many years, 17 years with my consulting firm to get a non-compete from everything you've built. And then to, you know, to start that way. So that's how I started. And then I started asking for referrals and then I, we were flying high again and then the, the pandemic happened. So pivoting, not quitting resilience, tenacity, having an amazing attitude, making sure that you give way more, way, way more than you get. I was recently counseled by a really good friend who said, you know, you, Stephanie, your childhood was not good but it was foundational for who you have become, but you never have arrived. You have always said, I'm still learning. I have to keep learning because if I don't learn that I'm not going to be able to impact and inspire others. Mm. Oh, you never have arrived and you're always learning. That resonated with me. I, I, I said to you before the show that I've been probably the, in the most agony and pain uh, I've ever been in, in my 60 years when I was in the last three weeks in hospital. And it was during that time that I referred to firstly John Kabat-Zinn, the, um, the full catastrophe and mindfulness-based stress reduction, which helped me get through the pain, which the oromorph and the morphine and everything else couldn't help me with. Oh. And the second one was Marcus Aurelius and the Stoics. And he said in his <clears throat> journals, this is what I trained for. And, and, and so when I was in such pain, I went, this is what I trained for. I right. read it. I've researched it. Now I'm living it. So, so don't just be a, a stoic philosopher, live it. Right. And, and I think that's what you've just triggered for me is just a pivot, as you say, and that we're, we've never arrived. We're always learning, learning in action. Uh, great. I so relate to that. Uh, last two around the compass, brand and then legacy. What would be for you... Um, a tip you've given you you've created a, a superb brand reputation image and impact people speak very highly of you and, and and you've got a great presence on social media what would be your tip to people about about your own brand building your own brand their brand I would say <clears throat> my brand is built around tenacity impact inspiration and legacy and so what that means is show up well-prepared, make everyone else look good, give credit and honor to others, make a huge difference. And, you know, I mean, Jonathan, we see this all the time on social media, but I don't think we really see it. Okay. People are, don't care about what you say or your examples. People are really going to understand and take away with them, how you made them feel, make somebody feel special every single day make someone feel special. And I, I, I mean, I mean this so deeply. I really mean this. Like my 11 year old will get in the car and he's had a bad day and he's just, you know, whining and frustrated and irritated while that will deserve honor. Not before who did he make feel special today? Who do you make feel, who do you make feel special? And, and then with that, lastly on that, Jonathan is, is, you know, there's so many people that have 
lost their jobs or are in a horrible relationship or, or the great, the great resignation. Okay. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? You go out and you serve others. You go out and you do for others with absolutely zero agenda for yourself. You go make them feel special and inspired that they can do it because all of that stuff comes back to you. So you have to be prepared and be caring and be giving above everything else. Beautifully put. I, I so connect with that. And uh, a wise old mentor of mine once said, Jonathan, people forget what you say. They forget what you do, but they never, never forget how you make them feel. Yeah. And I think this is a, a thing for us as leaders and the, the leaders we're fortunate enough to coach is they often forget that third bit. It's how do you leave them feeling? And as you say, making them feel special. Yeah. And yeah, I will, I will think about and reflect on that one for a long time, particularly with your 11 year olds. So thank you for that. Yes. Legacy, yes. the last around the compass before we go into teams and a book and then your top tip. Um, what would you like your legacy to be when you finally croak it and <laughs> you're pushing up the daisies? Um, the only certainty I can guarantee you, Stephanie, is you will die. And uh, I say this as a brother, um, Graham, who uh, sadly in January got stabbed and almost died. They did a, three operations on him in 24 hours to save his life. And he just made it through by the skill of an incredible surgeon, uh, Adam Brooks, who ironically operated on me three weeks ago. So the, the, the connection was just deeply moving to meet wow. the man who saved my brother. But Graham said to me, Look, Jonathan, I, I will live for now but our brother David has got cancer and he is dying and he died two months ago. So we will, the certainty we have is we are all gonna die. We shouldn't say we've passed on or we're moving on. We are going to die. Don't avoid it. Death should not be a topic we skirt around. Mm. It's the only thing in life that certainty is death. So when you're gonna be pushing up the daisies and you've died, what would you like people to consider as your legacy, the thing you've left behind? First of all, there's got to be no daisies because I'm going to be in a mausoleum and there's going to be no daisies because I prefer roses and stargazers, just so we're clear. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from there, the legacy is really easy. Um, I go back to my kids. I want them to feel so loved and respected. Um, they can feel that I was disappointed they can feel that I was sad. Their behaviors made me sad, but they never close their eyes into sleep and know that I didn't love them with every single thing that I had. I want my husband to feel honored and I want him to be, you know, feel special in everything that I did and honored and respected. And I want my clients to be felt, to feel like they were believed in and they were inspired and that I didn't stop. And I met them where they were and I worked as hard as they did. Ultimately, Jonathan, I left the world a better place than when I found it. Mm. Now, here's a surprise question. Yes. What was it about your husband when you met him that made you fall in love with him? He's a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was. So that's actually a really funny question. Um, we actually got truly, like truly, truly, we got parent trapped. Um, our kids were playing on the same soccer field and they came up with a gigantic plan. Um, we were living in Arizona at the time. My husband was living in San Francisco and they essentially came up with a plan to both get sick at the same time. And so they were over on a play date and my husband called me and he's like, I don't know what's going on. By the way, I'd met him once. <clears throat> and he's like, hi, I hate to call you with bad news. The kids are fine. I just want to let you know, they've been throwing up profusely. 
And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, I don't know if it's something that they ate. Excuse me, Jonathan. I'm sorry. Um, I don't know what it is, but they're like literally throwing up and I'm like, give me your address. I'll be right over. I didn't leave for four days. (laughs) So they were taking Dixie cups in the bathroom and they were going, and they did it for like, we were shoving medicine down their throat. We couldn't figure out they didn't have a temperature. We were like, do we take them in? I called the pediatrician, like you name it. And two years later, after he stalked me on every single trip, he would just show up. Okay. I finally agreed to marry him. He was hysterically handsome, hysterically funny, super handsome. Um, at our wedding, they did a speech and they told us the devils, I, and we were, we were like, what? Like it was so real. They had gotten a thermometer and they were like, you know, with the, with the, uh, with the blankets, making it hot. They like dampen their, I mean, it was really so speaking of sociopaths, um, <laughs> maybe I should refer them over, but yeah, they, they fully parent trapped us and, oh, wow. and he I was bet. persistent and consistent. <laughs> well, that's very special. That's very <laughs> special. What a lovely story. Um, from, from husbands and, um, uh, scheming children, right uh, teams executive teams and um what's your tip for when you've got a toxic team many Mm. of your clients have some pretty unpleasant teams and how you turn it around to make it a high-performing team what would be your advice so so my advice comes um i'm gonna go i'm gonna start from the end okay toxic people mess up fess up clean up be honest So communicate, ask them how they're feeling and ask them if they're aware of what they're doing, mitigate, get them help, a coach or a therapist or a peer group, set a deadline for the change, support and take action. You know, are they in, are they out move quickly and be honest and transparent in, 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 in what you're doing, be, you know, bad news doesn't get better with time. Jonathan, I say that to all my teams all the time. Like you're letting the cancer grow. If you have truly looked in the mirror and you've done every single thing for this person's level and their education. And what I mean by education, meaning their, their ability to connect, not their, their, not their resume, not their, not their um, degree. But what I will say is, here's what I will say. All of this can be avoided if we interview differently. So throw the resume out the window, have a conversation, look at that person in the eyes, ask them hard questions, talk to them, do a walk and talk, find out what's important to them. What are they trying to build in their career? you know, attitude outweighs school or high-end tech anytime for me, what you're willing to do and what you're willing to learn. That makes me want to invest in you. Skip the resume. Don't, don't even look at it. If they can't talk about what's in their resume, they shouldn't be there for an interview in the first place. So I always say interview differently, interview for attitude. And then if there is a toxic situation, mess up, fess up, clean up and do it quickly. I love that. You know, some, some, you have some great sayings and which capture a richness which is way beyond that and and i do think that you know knowledge skills and attitude is what people look at when they're hiring yeah. but as you you've said so correctly attitude is the only one you can't train if their attitude stinks it's never going to get better with time and one ceo said to me what is it you know now about that person that you'll find out in a year's time i said i know now they'll never make it so he said why are you waiting a year to get rid of them Help them find their happiness elsewhere. Um, they're, they're, you know, very few of these get well programs help the person get well because their attitude is fundamentally wrong. They're just not the right fit for the organization. Their, their attitude defines their altitude. 
and, and with a, a stinking attitude, they will ground the belly of their aircraft in the Hudson River very quickly. Um, great, great wisdom. Let's go on to um, books. Um, you clearly read a lot. Um, and, you know, you want to help your clients and uh, you want to continually learn and grow. If you had to pick a couple of books, which would you pick? And what is it about them that is worth other people listening to them or reading them? Yeah. So, so I like to recommend books based on where leaders are, um, where, where are they currently in their headspace and their heart space? Where are they? Um, Kara Golden's book, Undaunted. Um, Kara is the CEO for Hint. Um, she and her husband started it from the ground up. The book is called Undaunted. And this book is about just sheer will and learning not to hear the word no. Um, I would say that that one is amazing for people that are mid-level managers, mid-level leaders. Um, Blink is also amazing. Uh, that's a phenomenal, phenomenal book. Um, senior leaders, more senior that really just need to dig in and refine leading. Ray Dalio, Principles, for sure. Like that is just such a strong book. Um, or Thinking Fast and Slow. That's also just an incredible, incredible read. I changed so many, I shouldn't say I changed. I, you know, I always believe in short, in small kind of small pivots, you know, three degrees. Remember if we would have done a three degree shift, the, the Titanic would not have hit the iceberg. So just small shifts in our everyday behavior and remaining consistent. If we read these books and we can make small shifts, it is so impactful, not in our own lives, but in the changes that people see within us. No, I so love that one. And um, I was, I was just in a coaching session today with the leader and I said, you know, you're doing amazing stuff down in the engine room and you're tapping all the gauges and you're shoveling the coal into the, uh, the furnace of the Titanic. But I think it's time for you to get up on the bridge mm. and have a look five miles out and see what's ahead. And all you need to do is go three degrees starboard. Aye, aye, mm. Captain, three degrees starboard. And there'll be no drama. No one would have known anything about it, but you would have made it safely to the other end. And that's your job. It's not to be down in the bowels of the engine room. That's why you hire everybody else to do it. Why are you paying them and you're doing their job for them? Get out of there. Completely, yes. But know what it's like down there. By all means, go and visit them and check everything's okay. And if you were working there, would you be happy working there? And are those the right conditions for people to live and work in? But but people are paid at, at the senior level that you and I work with. They're paid to think, not to be busy. And they get themselves way too busy and they don't think. They don't That's make exactly time, right. time to think. Lovely. Uh, and, and funny enough, uh, it, it's uh, quite a coincidence no, there's no such thing as they're meant to be. But I, it was this morning that I downloaded Principles by Ray Delalio. Um, um, Dalio, sorry, not Delalio. Mm -hmm. Delalio is a rugby player, Ray Dalio, <laughs> um, which was mentioned actually by Guy Hans in his book. He said it was a, a, a very good one. I've heard it many times, so I'm now going to be listening to that. So um, this has been an absolute joy. Um, Stephanie, now if you'd introduce yourself once again and give us your two minute top tip. Absolutely. Um, hi, I'm Stephanie Malik, and I absolutely love talking about leadership. My top tip is really a culmination of three things. You really, truly are the sum of the five people that you share time with. Protect your time and your energy at all costs. Say yes to as many things as you possibly can. Figure it out on the back end. People really, really want to help, and they really want to know it truly who you are. If you're under 35, keep reaching. Don't just repeat the same experience. No wash and repeat. Reach, keep reaching, and experience wins every single time. Finally, your attitude will get you so much closer to your dreams. Spend a ton of time on developing your EQ. 
read, watch, and listen to anything and everything EQ. Self-awareness and all the humility and empathy, all of the grace and the connection that we develop as leaders, that will impact so many more people than your actual day-to-day tasks and your overall you know, busy work, as you just said, Jonathan. Mm, fantastic. That's a really lovely connection of top tips. And I think people will value it as much as I do. Stephanie, Malik, it has been an absolute joy having you on the series. It was great being on your uh, podcast, Spin It. I wish you every success in the work we do with leaders. And I'm looking forward to our co-coaching in the future. Thank you, Stephanie. That sounds so exciting. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.